Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good evening, everybody. It is good to see you all. Uh, I know some of you uh, from a little bit of experience of being around this uh, particular family of the church. Uh, I love Lagan Valley Vineyard. I know in the past I've spent an awful lot of time giving grief to the Vineyard Church, okay? As somebody who comes from a Presbyterian background, right? And spent a lot of time getting grief because I was Presbyterian. I felt like my moments in the limelight have been my opportunity to give grief back to all you Vineyard people. Uh, but I love Lagan Valley Vineyard. I love Andy and Dana and all of the story around this place. Andy and Dana are very dear uh, to my wife Joy and I and uh, people like James and Chris and, and different people along the way um, that we've been around and uh, have been friends to and have been great friends to us. So it's a joy uh, to be with you uh, this evening and to be part of, of the life of what is going on uh, the, around this church here in Lisburn uh, in the year 2022. Um, as the guys mentioned at the start, my name is Dave. Dave, I'm really, first of all, I need an apology that I know a lot of you came tonight to see the bassist from Kings of Leon. I'm really sorry. I know there's some heartbroken people out there. I'm sorry about that. I'm much more disappointing than him. Um, But uh, yes, so first apology out of the way. My name's Dave. I lead Central Belfast. Um, We are a church we planted uh, into Belfast uh, just over five years ago. Uh, Nine of us planted in on a Wednesday night, and uh, lots has happened over the the last number of years. We now um, call home the May Street Presbyterian Church building, the old kind of building that's over 200 years old, right behind City Hall, uh, which, for whatever reason, people have chosen to give it to us to steward and and to be a real kingdom outpost into Belfast City Centre, somewhere that we hope will have a future 200 years long, as it's had a past 200 years long, and all sorts of incredible stories about what Jesus did in that location. We, we hold really dearly and we hope and pray and believe uh, that the best days are not, are, are not behind us, they're ahead of us. And so that's what I do uh, with my job. I'm married to Joy. We've got two kids, Elle and Levi, um, and uh, they are hopefully in bed by now back home. And uh, yeah, I, I love getting to be able to lead a church in Belfast city centre. A couple of things as we start tonight, okay? And I wanted to, to ask you a couple of questions, give you five minutes to think about those uh, before we begin to talk and we dig into this whole aspect uh, of community, okay? And these are the two questions, right? There's just two, uh, and they're obviously really simple, straightforward, and easy. Um, but two questions I would love you to think about while you sit in your tables, you can talk with one another, or maybe it's just time to jot down uh, these answers yourself. The two questions I would love you to think about tonight are, what is your idea or your dream of community? And secondly, when have you most felt or experienced community? Okay, so what is your dream of community, your idea of community? What does that look like for you? And maybe just personally, when have you most experienced community? You have got five minutes to do some thinking, then I'm going to get some of your thoughts uh, from the floor, and we'll go from there. So five minutes, let's go. Okay, Uh, your five minutes are up. I realize that doesn't nearly feel like enough time. Um, But I'd love to get some of your thoughts. So if people are brave enough to shout, uh, I will take a few on what is your idea or your dream of community. Anyone want to be brave and give give me some thoughts on that? 
Go on, somebody break the seal. Go on. Valued. Diverse. It's good. Feeling part. Mm. Friend of the community or be known as a friend. It's good. Shared minds or shared lives. Shared lives and shared vision. Great. Okay. Great answers going on in here. Obviously, very intelligent people. Uh, when have you most felt or experienced community? This one's maybe a little bit more personal. Anybody want to? Anybody want to share about that? Walking through hardship or brokenness. Yeah, absolutely. Team. It's good. Church planting. Yeah, for sure. Anybody else? That's good. Very good. Okay, cool. Um, well, thank you so much for your input. I realize lots of you have had conversations and uh, you've already you know, done some thinking where you are, some listening to one another, sharing where you are. Uh, what I'm going to ask is you park those just for now. If you've written them down, great. They're there. That's cool. Uh, you can come back to those in a minute. The idea tonight is to explore the concept of community. And in lots of ways, that's a risk, okay, having me here to share on this. Because A, I am a church leader. I lead a church, okay. And in my experience, uh, church leaders are very often the people who have the dream and the vision for that church, for that community. But very often happen to be the people who least actually experience the community itself. Very often the role that is played can act as a barrier to you encountering community the way that all the rest of the people around you do. And the second reason that it's a risk is because there are few terms inside the church so very laced with Christianese as the term community, right? We all say it. We say it all the time. Every church website right now will say something like a vibrant community of believers in wherever it is. You're now about to Google Lagan Valley Vineyard to see what it says, right? But they all say that, right? We say it all the time. We so frequently talk about community. And yet so many people, of, so many of us carry a degree of disappointment about our own experience and experiences of community. So why? What is it about community? Okay, I got this text uh, on Sunday. This is what it said. I've just been stood thinking whilst making a Sunday lasagna, I love Central. There is no competition, no competition for leadership, stage time, sound, or even ecclesiastical presence in the city. Today, of what little time I spent in main church, felt like family. Still, sure, kids were crying while Stuart prays. A bit of chaos and quite a few extra chairs later, Central still feels just the way it did on our first day. I can't tell you how refreshing it is culturally to not have the burden of bidding for leadership or the competitive angling of ministry versus ministry, even the mission playing our part in the transformation of the city, not leading the way. That only puts every other way at a disadvantage. Playing our part really sums it up for me. Sure, as things get bigger, things should get more professional. I don't know if that was a dig or a compliment, but anyway. But right now, it still feels like one big community mucking in together. And I can't express deeply enough how healing it has been for me. 
We share stories like that all the time about our experiences of church, don't we? We share them with our home group leaders. We share them with our church leaders, our ministry leaders. Stories about how this kind of ragtag group of very different people somehow become a place where people encounter something which is beyond themselves. And when we come to community, it's very easy to talk about what it does. It's much more difficult to talk about what it is. And so tonight we're going to try to talk about what it is, okay? And in reference, what is community really then? Well, in reference to our dreams that we wrote down earlier, okay? This quote by German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer from his book, Life Together, gets right to it. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. So in some ways, the dreams, you have them, now bend them, right? Because in some ways, the, the, the dreams are not the reality. There are things we want to see, but in some ways, the dreams might be the very things that keep us from actually experiencing community itself. Bonhoeffer's argument, and in part the whole idea of that particular book, if you've read it, really landed on a number of things, right? The first of them is, the people right here are more important than your dream of community. The people that are in this room right now and that you represent in terms of your tribe, the people who show up on Sunday, they are more important than your dream of community. And secondly, that you can't be formed rightly without this community. That's the whole heart of his book, which is written in all sorts of difficult circumstances. If you know anything about Bonhoeffer, it's an incredible story. And he wrote the book and he meant every word that he said. The people that are in this room are more important than your dream and you can't be formed rightly without them. And I know that through the autumn, you guys have spent some time walking through 1 John and amongst other things, that book, this big central idea that you cannot say that you love God without loving one another was was kind of very much at work throughout that period of time. And, And I would like to urge you tonight to take a look around. It means loving the people around you. It means loving the people that are different to you, with different backgrounds and experiences, with different passions, different struggles, different doubts, different gifts, who don't look like you or think like you or even at times believe like you. We come to community as we are, don't we? All this nonsense that sometimes church use and people say like, oh, you know, you leave your baggage at the door. It's a nonsense, right? We come as we are. We can only come as we are. And the goal of discipleship and of spiritual formation is that we might know ourselves better and know God better. And as a result of that knowing, become more like him, right? That's, that's what all this is about, this following Jesus. That's the whole point in the end is to become more like him, isn't it? And community is such a critical part of spiritual formation. Very often inside the church, we've treated it as like an extra, you know. There's like my spiritual formation and then there's kind of church community and I kind of dip in and out of that as I feel like it. But, you know, my, my, my formation's solid, my Bible reading, my prayer life, you know, it's good, right? But it's not, right? It is a critical part of your spiritual formation. It's here. As we walk along others in good seasons and bad, in joy, new jobs, new babies, all of that sort of stuff. And also in grief, in suffering, in loss, in miscarriage, in doubts and struggles and fears. It's here, it's here that our experience of community, of life together shines a light on ourselves. And we see ourselves better than we could on our own. And it's here also that we see aspects of the character and the life of God at work in a whole host of other people. And we get to see him more clearly than we could if we were on our own. 
and together we begin to look like Jesus. Little bit by little bit, we become like him. So the idea of spiritual formation as individual, uh, a kind of monastic sort of thing, right? That's a nonsense as well. Spiritual formation needs the Christian community. Uh, And so when we come to community, we come as we are. Stuff and all, sin and all, brokenness and hurt and longing and passion and gifts. We bring it all. And community in all sorts of ways won't heal you, okay? Community can't really heal you. But the Jesus you meet here in the lives of other people as they begin to pattern bits of him and his life and his character <clears throat> and his, his way and his witness. He can heal you and you can meet him here. And so really quickly, okay, because it's a big topic, right? Biblical community, okay? Really quickly we'll whistle through a number of things which I think maybe point to what we might mean whenever we say biblical community. Everyone following at this point, okay? Set the scene, okay? You're all, all your disagreements, save them from the end. Hopefully we'll run out of time so I can't take any questions, right? That's the plan. Biblical community, okay? So I, that's a big topic, right? So we're not going to be able to cover all of that. But I, I always think maybe the easiest way or the best way to understand kind of the context of New Testament community is to understand New Testament faith first, okay? If we're going to understand community, it's best to understand faith uh, as it was meant. And one of the key terms for faith in the New Testament is this word. It's pistos, okay? It appears 62 times in the New Testament. Paul uses it frequently. It appears in all of the Gospels, okay? Uh, and in a sense, it, it does mean faith. It's more the word that's used for faithful, but it means faith. But the actual heart of what it means is allegiance. In other words, when you think about faith, and particularly when you think about faith in the New Testament context, what we're actually talking about is allegiance. It's allegiance. It's devotion. It's a change of heart. It's to the one that I give my allegiance to. And I say that tonight because it perhaps make it, makes it easiest uh, to get with where we're going in terms of what community is, okay? We belong to someone, and now we belong to something. Allegiance means that, doesn't it? Very often you would hear things like, for king and country, right? I belong to someone, and because I belong to that someone, I also belong to that people, Right? And so faith and community work that way, right? I belong to Jesus, and now I belong to his community. Old Testament faith kind of narrative was all about the formation of a people. New Testament narrative is all about the formation of a community, right? Christ's new society, Christ's new people, right? That's what's going on. And to emphasize what I'm trying to say, um, let's take a look at 1 Peter 2, verses 1 to 10. If you've got a Bible, you can grab it, but it should appear behind me, okay? So just reading from verse 4 of that particular little block, okay? This is what it says. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame, right? That's all that I belong to someone aspect of faith, isn't it? 
It's Jesus Christ. It's him, the living stone, the cornerstone. He is the, the source of our faith, right? Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Again, more on him, the one we belong to. And now finally, these last two verses. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There it is. I belong to him. And because I belong to him, I belong to his people. My faith leads me to my belonging in his church, his community. As we move on a little bit through some of the other passages of Scripture, okay, and there's lots we could choose tonight, okay. Luke was the author of both Luke's Gospel and the book of Acts, okay. And the easiest, kind of crudest way to see it is that it's two volumes of one work, really, okay. So Luke charts, in many ways, the life of Jesus in his Gospel. And then as you get to Acts, what he does is he tracks the life of the church of Jesus Christ, like what happens next after Jesus dies, right. And there's this passage in, in Acts 2 that we read very often whenever we talk about community right at the start. It's Acts 2, 42 to 47. And this is what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a picture of that word at the start of verse 42, koinonia, okay? That is the word for fellowship that we use. And it's this depth of life together. Somebody over on this side said at the start when we talked about community, lives shared and shared vision or something like that. And it's this life together. That's what, that's what fellowship or koinonia means. And when we read Acts, we're, we're always faced with this question in Acts, okay? If what we're reading is prescriptive, in other words, this is how it should look for you, so whatever it is we're reading in Acts, healings, all of the madness that takes part in that stage of the early church, right? Is that what church should look like for you? Or is it descriptive? Is it a picture or an example or maybe an idea of what could happen? Not necessarily what should happen. It might look like this. So is it prescriptive or is it descriptive? And I believe that this is a picture. This is descriptive, not prescriptive. This is what the church, the community might be. This is a picture. And so just throwing it out to you as I read the passage tonight, what is visible in this passage about what they did? Go ahead, shout out. What's visible about this community? Sharing, yeah. Opened up their homes, yeah. Faithfulness, yeah. Yeah. At food together, yeah. Devotion. Every day they met, yeah. 
more like a family. Did you read my notes before I got up? <laughs> I mean, there's so much, right? There's multiplication, so there's mission going on. There's the sacraments. They break bread. They get around the table together. There's worship and praising God. There's a going to worship, kind of organized. They go to the temple courts together, but then they come back to their homes afterwards. There's so much going on in this picture of what it means to look like a fellowship, Right? And the thing that stands out for me is this sense of, of everyday life. That's the thing that gets me about this particular picture, right? It's not like they go to the temple courts and then they forget about their following Jesus for the rest of the week until they return to the temple courts next week and the Lord added to their number. That's not what it says. There's this everyday part to what they do. They share their homes. They share their lives. They break food. They they are around a table. They are invested in one another, aren't they? That's such a massive part of what it meant to be New Testament community. Paul talks about it again in 1 Thessalonians 2. He says this, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. There's the sharing of life. And that's what they did in the early church, in the biblical model. And it seems to me at a core idea, right? The biblical New Testament community was life lived together. It was close enough and intimate enough that people could actually see and know and experience how Jesus was at work in each other's lives. That's the question I would say to lots of you tonight, particularly if you're leaders, right? Is anybody actually close enough to you that they could see Jesus at work in your life? Because if they're not, there's a problem there. And it doesn't look like the model that we've just read. They were close and intimate, right? It was built around rhythms, daily rhythms, things they did together. It was built around openness. It was built around the words and the way of Jesus. And it was built around the mission of God. That's what New Testament community looked like. So as you read through the New Testament, I mean, uh, there's lots going on, right? And there are lots of ways to describe the community that forms, isn't there? You could call it dynamic, spirit-led, Jesus-shaped, radical, passionate, hospitality, suffering even, to name only a few, okay? But it is that community, that type of community that gets scattered out, as it says in Acts 1, gets scattered out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of of the earth. It is that type of community that goes from Jewish centric church to the Gentile world, that goes to the whole world, that goes to cities, goes to rural places, that goes uh, from a people who were the outsiders to people who moved to the very heart of the Roman world. This is the community that changes the world. And I think if we're going to be the community here in Lisburn, be the sort of community that I think we long for, we need to get what the picture is in the New Testament. Does that everybody follow, get where we're going? Okay. So that's biblical kind of New Testament community in lots of ways in about five minutes. But practically, right, how does that fit today? I think that's the question really that we're here for. And community today is kind of a difficult thing really to unpack, mostly because of the world in which we live, isn't it? 
Uh, the internet, social media have given us this idea, right, that we choose to belong to community. That's kind of the, the kind of pervasive world in which we live in. It's defined by our choice, right? That, that's kind of, we, we go here, and if we don't like here, we go somewhere else. That's kind of the way it works. But in the New Testament, okay, community had nothing to do with your choice. You were born into tribes. You were born into families. You were born into specific groups. And those were some of the strongest bonds and strongest kind of identity pieces in anyone's lives, right? It wasn't choice. It was the furthest thing from choice. But now it's different, isn't it? David Brooks, writing in the New York Times, he spoke of this moment as the golden age of bailing, right? I love that. We live in the golden age of bailing. One of my favorite quotes is is, uh, when people say, you know, what's the greatest gift you can give to somebody in their 30s? I would extend that to somebody in their 40s, their 50s, and 60s, and whatever else, okay? What's the greatest gift you can give to somebody in their 30s? Canceling plans, right? How depressing is that, right? But it's true. We all know that feeling of like, I've got this on tonight, and then somebody texts you, and like, I'm not going to make it. You're like, yes. And I get to lie on the sofa in my pajamas all night, right? Because that's the way it is, right? We live in the golden age of bailing. We leave when it doesn't suit us, don't we? And church is every bit the same. Right now, it's probably fair to say that the reality of this moment that we are in, in January 2022, with all that coronavirus has meant over the last number of years, is that right now we're probably sitting in the great church migration. This moment right now is the moment where people are making choices to leave their churches for lots of reasons. Your church may be benefiting, there may be people joining you, there may be people leaving you, but up and down the country, it is the same story again and again and again and again in a more kind of acute way than maybe we're used to. Uh, I belong obviously to a mainstream denomination and they generally lose people to churches like this, but in the last maybe year or so, that has sped up considerably all around the country. We're living in the great church migration right now. And there is this idea that's pretty widespread that church, if we're honest, is just a subscription that we can cancel, isn't it? Because that's the way we, we deal with most of the things in our lives, isn't it? Internet providers, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, gym memberships, like whatever. Church is just like that, really. It's just another thing that I say I belong to, but I'll cancel whenever it suits me. And if I'm honest, I very often see three approaches to the community of the church, right? They all helpfully start with C, okay? Because, you know, I'm Presbyterian, so we like to do things that way. The first of those is consumer. You can be a consumer of community, can't you? I hold others and my involvement very much at arm's length. In fact, I have no real intention of getting involved at all. I consume the content and the leaders, but I never give of myself. Church is transactional and I get out of it what I want. And when that ceases to be the case, I move on. And coronavirus, if we're honest, has had a field day with this particular type, okay? It used to be when uh, I started out in doing stuff around church that your greatest competition as a church was the church like five minutes down the road, right? I'm not saying that's right, but it was a thing, okay? If there was a better church down the road, better in inverted commas, people went there. Here's the problem with coronavirus. The better churches are the entirety of the internet, right? So now it's not like Lagan Valley Vineyard versus whoever down the road. It's Lagan Valley Vineyard versus everyone, the entire world, right? And as the person that preaches in my church most weeks, okay, and I hated the whole process of preaching through a pandemic, like talking into my wee screen every week, right? Holy mackerel. Have I broken something? Okay. 
Shots fired. <laughs> well, that's, that's one way to break up the evening. And so, uh, as the person that preaches in my congregation, okay, speaking into my little camera every week, okay, the reality is that in some people's eyes, I now need to teach with the authority of John Tyson. I need to teach with also the philosophical insight of John Mark Comer, the killer props of every Instagram pastor, and the passion of Stephen Furtick, right? It's not just not that I'm not good enough. It's that I'm not good enough for all of that. Because when I hear people say, oh, it was great. I watched you on Sunday and seven other churches. What is wrong with you people? And it's nearly always older people too. I bump into them all the time and they're like, oh, I watched you on Sunday and I watched your father. My dad's a minister as well, by the way. I watched your father and then I checked in with the vineyard and then, you know, on Monday I watched. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? How can you consume all that? Or the people that say, I just love online church. You know, it's great. I just, I don't even need to get on my jammies anymore. I just sit in the living room and I just, I don't even need to go anywhere. It's great. Best church experience of my life, right? Consuming. We're consuming. That's not community. That's consuming. And I don't pretend that you are that because you're here tonight, right? But the reality is it's everywhere in our church and it's even worse right now. So we can consume. The second thing we can do is just have a connection. And this is also the experience that lots of people have, okay? This is the reality that community doesn't happen via the 40-inch of our TV while we watch on YouTube. It doesn't happen while we hold each other at arm's length. And that's very often why we just end up with a connection and not with community. It doesn't happen when the reality of what we have in front of us doesn't look like the picture or the dream that we have of community. And the truth is we'd rather have our dream than the people here sat in front of us. That's connection. Maybe, but that's not community. Or thirdly, we can have community. And the point with that is that we need to choose it. We will not find community. It will not come looking for us. It doesn't happen by accident. Community doesn't happen if somebody is working harder at it than you are yourself. Community costs. Community requires of you. Community will need you to be fully present and to be part of it yourself. It will force us to be around people we don't click with. It won't look as good as we hoped it would. It will happen slower than probably we want it to. But if we stick with it and commit to it, it is the space where something of real depth and real beauty can happen. It is formational space, deeply formational, critically formational. But our ideal and our experience has become deformed. It's become deformed by the world in which we live and the way that it thinks about community and talks about community and paints this idea of community, which just simply is not the reality. It's like any relationship. Anyone that's in the room that is married knows that it isn't glossy even 5% of the time, right? It's hard work and commitment and perseverance and showing up and giving of yourself and putting others before you, right? It's not the glossy magazine spread. It's not always the beautiful photos of you on your wedding day. It's hard work, isn't it? And it's commitment and it's investment. And community is just like that. We want to walk in the opposite direction to the deformation. We want to be rightly formed, don't we? And that means we need true community. 
I cycle quite a lot, and I love cycling. It is uh, absolutely one of my favorite things. And uh, I've got this friend, and um, he's like just an absolute animal, right? He's, he's just a machine of a guy. He's incredible, right? He's way fitter than me. He's incredible. And he, but he, the thing was, he wasn't always, right? Just a couple of, I mean, I'm blaming my having kids on me not being as fit as him, right? But the reality is, like, he's done a lot of work, and I haven't, right? Uh, and so the truth is now, like, when we go out, you know, he's, he's just, like, way beyond me, way stronger than me. Every hill is just, like, it just looks easy. You're, like, struggling your way up. He's, like, zipping up, trying to have this conversation and you reach the point where you're like, stop talking to me because you can't talk, right? You're so out of breath. He's incredible, right? And every time I see him like zip up a hill ahead of me, I think I want that, right? I want that. I want to be that fit. I want to I be that fast. I want that. And then he will explain to me what it takes that he's in his garage five nights a week on Zwift, this like electronic thing that you do in a turbo trainer, five nights a week, two hours a night. He'd explain to me about the diet that he has, all the things he doesn't eat and he doesn't drink and he doesn't do. And then he'd explain to me that he rides four hours plus every Saturday and every Sunday and the recovery that he has to do during the week in terms of stretching and physio and all the stuff. And then I think to myself, do you know what? I realize that I want the life, but I don't want the lifestyle. You see, I want that, but I don't want what it takes to get it. And the truth is that community is so very often the same for lots of us, that we look at people who have it, that we look at examples of it, that we read it and we think, I want that. But then whenever we hear what it takes to get it, we're like, but I don't want the lifestyle. We want the life, but not the lifestyle. And the truth is that community is going to take work, right? You guys know this. You're here as tribes, leaders, tribes, members. You're at the core of this church. Therefore, you know that it takes work. So where does it happen? How does it happen, community? Well, I want to obviously argue that, that it isn't an optional extra to our faith on the discipleship journey, right? It's a core central part. And I want to argue that one of the reasons why that is, is the formational power of the device that all of you have in your pocket right now versus, for lots of people, the two hours they spend in church on a Sunday, right? This thing is forming you all the time. People's screen time, I don't know what your screen time is like. I'm going to guess that over the last two years it's probably been higher than it was before. But the formational power of what is in your pocket at all times is massive versus for many people, if they don't choose to belong, just like two hours on a Sunday where they maybe get excited a bit more, built up a bit more, hear some new songs, maybe get a prophetic word, and then they go home probably on their phone before they even get home, and it's already started to form them in the way of the world versus the way of Jesus. And so we need this, right? If we're honest, all of us, we need this if we're going to be rightly formed. So I preached through this series at Central um, earlier on in the autumn, And it was looking at discipleship and it was looking at our formation. And this one verse in Mark, okay, it really stood out to me as I was kind of thinking about it uh, in the period of time before that, of what our discipleship should and could look like. And if community is is that we are to be a community of disciples, we are to be a formational space, then I believe these are four things our community should be shaped around too, okay? So if we're going to be a formational community, these are four things that it's going to need to be a formational community. And this is that, okay? This is Mark 8, uh, verse 34, okay? And this is what it says, really simply. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves 
and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. There are four words here that I think are absolutely critical as we begin to think about what kind of community, what kind of communities we're going to be. And it's this. We must be communities that have desire, denial, discipline, and direction. If we're going to be a formational space, if you are all going to lead and be part of formational spaces, it must have desire, denial, discipline, and direction. And we find these really helpful as ways of maybe evaluating how my own kind of, kind of journey with the way of Jesus was going and how our communities were going in terms of spaces where we were hoping to form people and be formed. Do they possess desire, denial, discipline, and direction? Okay, so we're going to just work with these four words tonight. And if you write nothing else down, I hope it's those four words uh, and that you come back to these maybe at another time and think about how your life and how your community lines up with these. The first thing is to say that Jesus was addressing all of the disciples. It says he calls the crowd and the 12 to him before he shared And there's something deeply significant about them, that 12, right? We know that he chose 12, that he might be with them, is what what it says in the Bible, right? So he chose them, right? He consciously chose 12. And they were an odd bunch in all sorts of ways. We know that about the disciples. Like, they probably weren't your logical first picks, right? There was not really anything in particular that you would have meant, I definitely want them on my team, right? But for whatever reason, he chose them that he might be with them. Jesus chose the way of community, right? In terms of leaving the mission to a people afterwards, it was those 12 that he chose, that he left it to, to carry it on after he went. And then he said, you'll do even greater things in my name, right? So it's incredible that he chooses these 12. And it's these 12 that he chooses to share this with, okay? Margaret Mead said this, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And so they did this 12, that were with him. It was this 12 that changed the world. So what should our community be shaped around? Well, the first of these is desire. The first thing our community should be shaped around is desire. It's desire. Wants, okay? The root word of that word desire, right, is ethelo, right? It really, it it means desire at the core, okay? And it's the first word, the first part of what it means to follow Jesus. The starting point of our following and our belonging to community is desire. People of the way are people of desire. We need to be people of desire. Looking at our passage in Mark, okay, if you read on a little bit from that verse in verse 34, Jesus begins to talk about suffering. He begins to talk about the way of the cross. And it's almost as if Jesus knows that that if your eyes are only on this world and the stuff that's all around us clamoring for our attention, the stuff that fills our Instagram and our Twitter feeds, if you're only after that, then this world is going to make you better offers than he did. Right? If your focus is only on the stuff that the world's got to deal with, if your focus is only on your Instagram stories and it's beautifully targeted marketing, if that's where your focus is, this world's going to make you vastly better offers than the way of the cross, right? I mean, one is suffering, the other just feels and looks amazing, doesn't it, right? And the way of the world is the way of comfort. It's the way of self. It's the way of stuff. But Jesus calls us to his way, doesn't he? And it's very often not the deepest evils in our world that are the greatest contest to the work of God in our lives. That's the truth. 
It's very often not the greatest evils that are the greatest contest to the work of God in our lives. Very often it's good things. It's nice things. It's brunch. It's Scandinavian furniture. It's nice houses and clothing brands and all of that stuff. That is very often where the greatest contest for the work of God in our lives is. And it's like Jesus knows that, but also speaks into how his way is the other way. And if we're going to go his way, because we all get a choice, and the truth is we're all choosing every day, then his way starts with desire. The truth is we need to want this. We need to want it. We need to want to follow him, and we need to want to follow him into community, or we won't get what community does. And this really should come as no surprise to us, okay? Because at the heart of who we are are our desires, right? At the heart of who we all are are desires. We are formed by our loves. James K. Smith says we are what we love, right? We're formed by our loves. We follow our loves. They're the things that set the direction for our lives. Everything forms around loves. At its core, discipleship is not a cerebral exercise. It's not a head exercise, okay? Discipleship is not about, uh, about that, even if we've been taught that. It's not about more knowledge and more books. I think theology, by the way, is an incredible thing, and WTC would be an amazing use of your time. But the truth is, discipleship is not about more knowledge. It's not about more smarts. It's not about knowing the Bible cover to cover, though all of these things are good things. Why? Because we cannot and do not think ourselves into new ways of living. We don't think our, ourselves into being different, do we? We can't do it. It just simply doesn't work. We only ever hold on for so long. It's why short-term diets are only short-term, right? Because we can only think our way into short-term diets over the short-term. Sooner or later, our loves for whatever it is, chocolate or whatever, begin to take over. Most people just aren't able to keep them going because we love the things we've stopped. And it only works if we come to love different things more. And that's what he's getting at. We need a greater love. If our lives are going to change, then it will be around our desires. We can't think our way into new ways of living. We can only love our way, following the desires within us into new ways of being. That's the truth about our following Jesus. The theologian Augustine said that love was like gravity. We live towards what we love, the things we desire, the stuff deepest within us. They carry us in the direction that they are weighted. He goes on to say, my weight is my love. Where I am carried, my love is carrying me. The first thing we need to be as a community is a community of desire. Now we can say that we're for this or we're for that or we're really passionate about this or that, but the truth is our lives will tell this story because they will move towards the things that we really want and we really desire. So here's the thing. You can't say you love Jesus and not love his church. You can't say that you love Jesus and not love his church, his community. So that means, as I've said about the third time tonight, take a look around. This room, you people, to each other. This is the church as far as you're concerned, right? I know that the church is a big thing, right? The, the church, all of that sort of question. It's a big ethereal thing, global, different, all the sorts of things that we have to think about the church. But as far as it goes, it's these people right here. This is your community. 
You can't say you love Jesus if you don't love each other. And I've never met, okay, maybe picking on a specific group of people. I'm a millennial, okay? That's an awful group of people, by the way. But anyway, I'm a millennial, okay? And there's this thing that kind of is in lots of people in my friendship circles and in my kind of age group. And it's this sort of like low-level scorn for the church, this kind of eye-rolly thing about the church, right? Like we eat up stories of pastors who are falling and scandals like it's entertainment, right? It's like, it's just another story. We're like happy to hear it in many ways. We, eat, we have this like low grade, just like sort of church, you know? We don't really love it. And here's the thing, right? You will never, ever, ever have a, a positive experience of the church if you feel like that. If you don't love it. If you carry around some degree of sort of scorn or just looking down your nose at the church and what it is even looking down your nose at people that are in the room, you aren't really in. Paul repeatedly talks about how he longs to be with the churches that he planted and that he set up. And then even more extreme, in Acts 20 we read, when Paul had finished speaking, just as he's getting ready to be sent to Jerusalem, this is what it says, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. They all wept and embraced him and kissed him. There is a desire that is necessary for community to happen, okay? You have to desire, you have to want it if you're ever going to build it. The first part of community is desire. The second part is denial, okay? Walt Whitman wrote that nothing is greater to one than oneself is. And if we're really honest with ourselves, that's probably true, isn't it? We, ourself, is what's most important to us. Life in 2022 is pretty self-centric, isn't it? No matter whether, wherever we look, whoever we listen to, it's pretty much revolves around me. And that just spins and spins in our world, okay? So when we talk about people being in love or relationships, right, it's all about my needs being met, okay? He didn't meet my needs, so therefore I had to call off the relationship. In work, it's about fulfilling my dreams and my aspirations, right? And we buy to satisfy my wants, don't we? That's kind of how we work in our world. So self-denial is just not something that we're particularly comfortable with in a world that's all about self-fulfillment, isn't it? We just don't like the signs of that. Except that's exactly what Jesus is saying is part of the way to life. Self-denial, he's saying, is part of the way to life. You want to follow him, you want the life that's really life, then it needs denial. Denial is the saltiness of the church in 2022. So you're thinking, right? I get it. I know what you're thinking where you're sitting tonight. Okay, cool. So I'm a Christian. You've already taken away my sex outside of marriage. You've taken away my drinking too much. You've taken away my blinking good gossip, right? What else are you going to take, okay? Please don't take my guilty pleasures, my trash TV. Don't you dare take away Love Island, right? I understand that that's probably what you're thinking where you sit tonight. Somebody really is laughing about Love Island. I don't know who you are. Ministry is available afterwards. But anyway... The thing is, right, the thing Jesus is talking about is not denial in that sort of way, okay? Denial is not denial the way I have just suggested it. It's not asceticism, right? It's not about denying yourself stuff. John Stott talks about this self-denial like this. Self-denial is not denying to ourselves luxuries such as chocolate, cakes, cigarettes, and cocktails. Good news, guys, right? Although it might include this. It is actually denying or disowning ourselves, renouncing our supposed rights to go our own way. It's way deeper than just giving up stuff. 
In other words, get over yourself, right? Get over yourself. That's what he's saying. One of the ways to life is getting over yourself. And that might be the biggest challenge of the four words in terms of discipleship and belonging to community. It's way, it's humbly submitting everything to the will of God. Self-denial is self-forgetfulness, as some commentators put it. In verse 35, we read that the word life, okay? We haven't got it on that passage, but we read the word life several times, okay? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And on the face of it, it sounds like Jesus is talking about your physical life, right? If you want to save your life, you're you know, life or death, right? But he's, he's not actually saying that, okay? The word for life is suke, uh, and the word for life, like physical life, is bios, where we get biology from, okay? So it's the first one. It's suke. It's not bios, okay? And suke uh, means breath. It means soul. It means self. In other words, it's not as it turns out, Okay? It's not about priorities or practices, things to stop and things to start. Discipleship is about a whole new self. Verse 35 will suggest, okay, that whoever wants to save their self will lose it. And whoever loses themselves for me and the gospel will save it. It's about self. We need to get over ourself. Denial is all about identity. We have to lose ourselves to find ourselves. And it's about intimacy with God and with one another. And nowhere does denial become more obvious than this church community. Nowhere is denial more obvious than this sort of room, than this sort of group of people. Because community makes it glaringly obvious that we are struggling to get over ourselves, right? You need to sit down with people for a few minutes before you realize that so much of the stuff is so about themselves, their disappointments, their disgruntledness about the way you're doing things or the way that you're going or the way it looks or whatever. It's just about themselves. And maybe tonight there are two groups, okay, that that I'm just... I'm going to home in on. The great thing for people like Andy and Stu is that very often they ask people like me to come in because we say things that they don't, okay? And there's maybe two groups, right, that, we, that maybe need to look at themselves. The first are OGs, okay? This church is old enough now, right, as, as what, 10 years old, aren't you? 10 years old. My church is five years old, and we're already experiencing this stuff, right, where you have the people who've been here from the start and the people who've just come recently, and you begin to experience the kind, of dispar- the kind of discrepancy between the people who've been here all along but to, and the new people who have just plugged in and they're mad keen and they want to do everything. And groups begin to start to see kind of frack. Well, you've not been here for very long. They've only just blown in, right? I, I've, been, I, I've been at Carmoney uh, Church, which is the church my church was planted from. And I'm an elder there and all that sort of stuff. But because I've only been there since I was 18, bearing in mind I'm now 37, okay? In Presbyterian circles, that still qualifies me as a blow in, right? I'm still not qualified to have a go about stuff because I've been there not that long in the eyes of some other people, right? But the truth is that this church is old enough now to begin to experience some tension between some of you that have been here for a long time and some of you that have been here for a short time. You got to get over yourself. You got to get over yourself. If you've been here for ages, and you're disgruntled about some of the new people that are coming in and positions that they're moving into and stuff that they're beginning to do, and you're thinking, what about me? You've got to get over yourself. 
And secondly, if you're new here and you're thinking, well, I'm only in the door. I couldn't really be of any use around this place. You've got to get over yourself too. Plug in. Give yourself to this. Commit. Be a part of things. Secondly, the second group of people is that we just have this horrible habit in the church of spending life revolving around being people who are just like us. So singles, maybe particularly at times, single females all gather together into a big group of singles. Young marrieds all gather with young marrieds. All the people who have kids then, well, I can't really hang out with the young marrieds anymore because they do fun things and we can't get babysitters. So then you gravitate towards young families. Older people spend time with older people. And it's horrendous, right? We need each other. I discovered when I was a student and people kept putting things in my hand to go to student things that the last thing I wanted to go to was another student thing, right? I didn't want to sit in another rubbish lunch or another student flat, right? I wanted to be in some older person's house because they had really good food and nice sweets and all the stuff that you wanted to be around, right? In other words, I wanted to be around the life of a whole community. As a single person when I was single, I didn't just want to spend time around singles. I wanted to be around young couples because I wanted to see what that looked like. As a married couple, I loved being around some of our friends who had kids before us because I got to see what life was like. I got to begin to be an honorary uncle to some of their kids and all of the fun stuff like that. And I have benefited so very much from people in their 60s and 70s who have been around my life. My... um, My best friend died when he was 30. And uh, he died of sudden adult death syndrome. Actually, of all things, on the phone to Andy Masters, okay, when he died. And his wife, Connie, obviously was left as a widow. And uh, she had one uh, child. She had Izzy. And she was also pregnant with her second whenever Craig died. And the months that followed that were really difficult, okay? They were really very painful for all of us who were around her as a whole church community, and particularly as us, as her closest friends. And she came to our small group community, which happened in our house. And I love Connie, by the way. Connie is absolutely one of my dearest friends. But there was this period of time where she would come as she walked through grief, where it was like as people started to share about their life, you know, Connie had like the grief top trump, right? So it was like if somebody said, I'm just having a really hard time in work, and people would be like, yeah, right, really feel you. Can we pray for you tonight? Then she would say, just really struggling with grief this week. And everyone would go, oh. And like you couldn't say anything, right? And this happened all the time. And, and, and like, you know, in a very real way, I understand. But like her stuff was clearly bigger than you're like having a bad week at work. But what actually happened was it meant that you didn't really end up sharing in each other's stuff because in lots of ways we all shared with what was the biggest pain that was in the room at the time. And then one week she says it. And June, who's in our room, June is in her 70s. Uh, we had three people who were in their 70s who were in our home group. Everyone else was like 20. So instead of calling them OAPs, we called them VIPs, right? And um, we're sat there and she begins to share about the fact that she's on her own and the pain of being widowed. And June, who has said nothing really for most of these weeks, eventually turns around and she says, I know. Because she had been widowed too. And she was the only one in the room who had some sort of paralleled experience to the one that she had had. And if June had never been in the room, we never would have had that moment of like understanding and connection and ability to speak into each other's lives. And something really wonderful happened that night in the context of our little community. Don't just form your idea and your reality of community around people who are just like you. 
you will miss out on the joy of being around people who are not like you. On the joy of seeing the image of God at work in a life totally different to yours, with totally different passions and visions and struggles and doubts and histories and experiences. Don't just try to build your community with people that are just like you. The solution, hospitality. Hospitality. I truly believe that hospitality is one of the greatest weapons available to the church today, maybe even particularly right now more than ever. Like I'm talking, we need to get serious about opening up our homes. If you have a home tonight, you have a missional launch pad into whatever your community looks like. I'm serious. You do. Joy and I moved into a new house uh, right in the middle of lockdown. So like we didn't get to know anyone for a while. The only people we did get to know, I would say, much to our disdain for the first while, were like the 15 kids that played football outside our house, right? And they were constantly like hitting the car with the ball. And you find out like, oh, I've become that old man who's like, they've hit the gutter again. You know, that sort of guy, right? And I find myself saying things that my dad said to us when we were growing up, like, they think it's Wembley out there, right? It was a horror story. It was like holding a mirror on yourself. It was terrible. Anyway, so this went on, on, on. And then one night they're playing out in the street and one of them has, I don't know, nicked their dad's torch and they've like taped it around a lamppost and it's like lit up. And I don't know, is there like a game in FIFA called Volta? Is it like street football? And I can hear them, they're all like, it's like Volta. And they're all doing these tricks and all, right? And and we're sitting in the house at this moment in time. I'm like, I'm just going to watch them. This is brilliant. This is better than watching United right now. So we were watching them, right? And uh, I'm a United fan. It is dreadful. But anyway, so we're watching them, okay? And, uh, And then Joy just decides... Do you know what? They're nice kids, right? They're not bad kids. They're not up to no good. They're just playing football on the street. So Joy goes out with sweets and feeds them all. And they're all, like, they go out. And honestly, the first time, when she goes out the front door, one of them immediately, like, I mean, she goes out the door and she's like, promise we haven't hit anything with the ball? Like, just like that, right? And Joy's like, no, nah, it's fine. There's, there's, no, like, there's no problem, right? She's like, actually, I came out to give you some sweets. And they're all like, oh. And then this thing happens, like, about a week later, and one of them actually does smash the gutter on our house, right? And, uh, and so we don't even know. We're in the house cooking dinner. And the doorbell rings, and Joy goes to the door. And it's a man from up the street. Never met him. Don't know him. And it turns out that he is the father of one of the kids that we took food out to. And he comes and he says, look, this has happened. It wasn't my son. My son's told me who it was, but I'm not going to tell you. But we've smashed your gutter. And I just want to say that I want to fix it. And actually, when you're up for it sometime, and if you feel king, you know, we'd love to have you guys around for a drink. And we were like, oh, right, okay. And they're like, because nobody in this street has ever been kind to our kids. And you're the first people that's ever been kind. It took nothing, guys. Nothing. If you own a home, if you have a kitchen table, if you have a back garden, you have a missional outpost into wherever it is you call home. You have the opportunity to change lives. And all it takes is hospitality. Do you know what I want to say too? Biblical hospitality, by the way, was not hanging out with your best friends. That's not biblical hospitality. That's just hanging out with your best friends, right? Hospitality was having people around you in your home, around your table that you don't know. The broken, the outsider, the lonely, the lost. Who are those people? And how might you be a hospitable place to them? How might your community be a hospitable place to them? Desire, denial. Thirdly, discipline. Here's the reality, okay? Community is never found. 
you will never just stumble in on community. It's always built. It always takes time and effort and energy and giving of yourself. It usually requires the first two things, desire and denial, just to be able to sustain the discipline required to get it, right? It's rarely Instagrammable, right? Community is never worthy of the flames emoji, right? That just needs to end. Church today was flames. It was never flames, right? Stop using flames. I was stuck in a room with loads of people I don't really know and I would never otherwise hang out with, right? That's the truth about church community. Church community is harder than we think and it takes discipline, right? And being together and having life together, like the koinonia we read in Acts 2, it was every day involved in each other's lives. And the picture throughout the New Testament is of people bearing with each other through suffering and showing up for one another, sharing food and money and everything they had, discipling one another, sharing common rhythms, hopes, dreams, direction. That's what we read. Hebrews 25 will, will have to remind us and let us run and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as others have. Like we would have to be reminded just to want to be in the same room together. It takes discipline. Community is where we are formed together and it turns out that it's going to take hard work. Confession time. I've led small groups for most of my life, okay, as I've been a a leader, okay. I've led small groups basically since I was about 18 years old in one way or another. And I would confess to all of you tonight that there's probably never been one single night that I haven't dreaded it before it started, right? You know that feeling when it's like about six o'clock and the kids haven't gone to bed yet and you're like, oh, these people are coming to my house tonight. And it's not even tidy. And I need to make tea and coffee for them all. And you see if Darren stays late, I'm going to murder him, right? You know those sorts of things you feel. Sorry if there's a Darren in the room, okay, right? Sorry about that. But you know that things you feel, right? There's basically never been a night that I haven't dreaded. But you know what the other truth is? There's basically never been a night that I've regretted when they went home. It takes discipline. These are family rhythms. And if you grew up in a, in a family that functioned and all of that sort of stuff, you know how important family rhythms were. Communities are family rhythms. Community requires that we keep showing up and keep showing up and keep showing up. One of the most important communities in my life for a long time was the band that we served with at church. Stuart, who was leading earlier on, is one of my many sons. I should say that I haven't been like siring kids throughout the Northern Ireland kind of area, right? But um, Stuart is one of my many sons. James is sort of a semi-son, but anyway, he's more Andy's son than he is mine. But anyway, um, and Stuart came into our setup at church. I didn't know Stuart much like I didn't know most of the people that were in my band at that time at church. I was the worship pastor at Carmoney years ago. And we didn't really know him. I, didn't, I knew that he wanted the drum. I knew that he loved Jesus. And so I texted him one day and said, you know, did he want to start coming and drumming? And that time I, I was leading worship around the place and having the opportunity to do lots of conferences and sort of bigger events and all of that sort of stuff. And the temptation at the time was to use kind of session players, right? You know, like people that are kind of nearly pro. They're really good at what they do. And you just, you know, lot, there's lots of them around, around Northern Ireland. They've almost certainly played in this church at some point. But you ring them up and you say, like, I need a keyboard player. I need a drummer. And you're amazing. And are you free on Saturday when you come play with me? And you don't worry about them because musically they're fantastic. And the temptation is whenever you're doing kind of bigger conferences and there's more pressure and all that sort of stuff is just to get wicked players in because you think, 
I'll get rid of all the hassle because they're all brilliant. And I won't have to keep telling them what chord to play and like all of that sort of stuff, right? And that was kind of what I did for a little while when that happened. And then it kind of hit me one day that how is that building community? How is that leveraging the gifts that I have and the opportunities that I have and the influence that I have to build community around the opportunities that I have? And so I, I stopped doing it. And I started asking people like Stuart, who was really a pretty terrible drummer in those days, okay? Um, He would say it himself. It is the truth. Uh, And lots of other guys who were younger musicians, okay? That's how I came to have so many sons, right? Uh, And they weren't musically. It was definitely not nearly as easy as it would have been if I'd had lots of these guys who were really good players. The quality dropped somewhat. But then over time, this incredible thing happened. Community begins to form. Discipline of being with them, practicing with them, the car journeys, which were almost more important than the actual events themselves, input, wrestling with life, going through stuff together with one another. We committed to each other as this group of six people. And after a little while, the quality did begin to get a little bit better, you'll be thankful to know, right? But we became known in our WhatsApp group, which is obviously the official naming place of everything, as the Dickinson Family Band, right? And that was kind of our thing. And the reality was, it was just discipline. It was just the choice to commit to these people and walk with these people and invest in these people and listen to these people and encourage them and try and equip them and to bring them along where I felt the Lord was leading me. The discipline to give of ourselves and show up and be there and stir one another and live alongside. Desire, denial, discipline, And finally, direction. One of my favorite quotes of all time uh, is by the author and the the pastor, Leonard Sweet. And he wrote this, I only want to write one thing over the doorpost to my heart and my life. Jesus Christ lives here. And it moves me every time I read that. Because that's what I really want to say of my life. It's what I want to be able to have said about my life. That I only want to write one thing above the doorpost of my life. That Jesus Christ lives here. And as a result, it is my dream very often for the community that I get to lead. It's what I long for. And it's what I so want the community that I lead to carry. That people might say of it, Jesus Christ lives here. But the truth is, the only way that they will know that, and the only way that it will be that, is if we go his way. As if we are a community in his way. And when we come to community, we need to realize that it has a specific direction. And the news is that it's not yours And it's not mine. And that will come as a shock. That will come as pain. That will come as disappointment at times to us. As church doesn't go where we want it to go. Where it doesn't move as fast as we want it to move. Where it doesn't lean into the things that we're passionate about. It will come as a pain and a disappointment and a struggle at times. But church isn't moving in our way. It's moving in Jesus' way. And that is a challenge in an age where self is king isn't it? We leave things, we leave people, we start things and stop things and form our lives around our own sense of direction, don't we? And yet Jesus says, follow me. Not follow your inner guiding light. Not follow your own disappointments, your own wants, your own passions. Follow me. Here's the question. What or who sets the direction for your life? 
what or who sets the direction for your life? Is it disappointment, rejection, wants, targeted adverts, things your parents have said, the way they planned your life to be, what the bank balance says, who or what says the direction for your life. Because in the idea of community, it's Jesus who sets ours. And it's Jesus who is ours. Here's the thing. We're talking about community tonight. But the truth is that community is not what we aim for. Jesus Christ is. The end goal of community is not community. The end goal of community is to look like Jesus. That's why we have it. That's why it's formed. That's the direction of Jesus' community. It's not just that we might be together so that we might like each other more, so that we might have a great WhatsApp group, so that the visuals might be great, so that our social media feed is excellent. It's the end goal of community is not community itself. It's looking like Jesus. And community is one of the ways in which we look more like him. I love that passage from Hebrews 12. This is what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Did you notice how many times the word us and our were said in those few short verses? It turns out, that the way of Jesus has always been the way together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For rabbis of the time of Jesus, they had followers, groups of students whom they taught, led, and lived alongside. Jesus chose 12 that he might be with them. Even looking at Paul in his life, he was synonymous not just with how he led, but who he led. And brought around him Barnabas, Silas, John, Mark, Timothy, and on and on and on and on and on. You see, the call to direction is a call to the way together. It's a call to shared life together in the one direction. We, though we can be so very different from one another in every possible way, share that same picture, that same imagination for the world as it is being remade. The same vision of Jesus at the end. I'm reminded in leadership so often that the answers to what Jesus is calling us to as a church and the answers to what Jesus is calling this church to both now and in the future very often are in the room. They're very often here, right? They're not only in the heads of your leaders. They're in the room. They're in the room when I'm tempted to believe, right, that they need to be in me as a leader of a church or when they need to just be in my leadership team or when I know they aren't there. They're very often in the community of the church. We are on the way together, fixing our eyes on Jesus, not on church politics or being better than another church or losing ourselves to arrogance or pride, not trying to be something we aren't and not being overcome with the million other visions of life in our time that might be more easily on our minds. So look around you tonight. Genuinely, take a little second and look around you at the room.
These are the ones. You are the ones who are on the way together in this community. It's not some amorphous thing. It's these people. It's you and I. You're on the way together. And maybe tonight it's time that we deal with a number of things. I'm going to ask Stuart to come. Uh, I have managed to talk for long enough that we don't have Q&A. That's an absolute joy. Thank you for being so gracious. I will be around if you want to talk to me afterwards. But I'm going to ask Stuart to lead us in a little minute. And Just as we do that, okay. I wonder if the Lord has been laying on some of you tonight any number of those four words. I wonder if maybe first of all it's been desire. I wonder if your sense of desire for the community, and actually let's be even more specific, for this community, has maybe waned a little bit over the last couple of years. Has waned a bit as we endured online stuff for longer than we wanted to, when our kids checked out and when it all became very like, I can't, don't know if I can do this anymore. Has maybe waned because things have changed, maybe waned because things feel different in the season that we're in, restrictions, masks, lack of freedom, shorter services, whatever it is. I just wonder if the desire has gone out a little bit in some people here tonight. Maybe especially leaders, ministry leaders, significant areas of this church leaders. I wonder if desire is the thing that Jesus is putting his finger on right now. Second thing is denial. And I don't know maybe if it hurt that I told you tonight to get over yourself. I don't know if you find yourself in that kind of OG versus new person thing, or maybe you find yourself right now reflecting on the fact that your community, as you see it, are just people like you. And I want to pray for you in a little minute. That not not only might you throw open the gates to your house, but you might throw open the gates to your heart. For people who aren't like you, I think as well there's very definitely people here tonight who are kindling and have been kindling a real heart for those outside the doors of this church that actually what you really want to do is bring them into your home. And I think you know it tonight. Actually, I think you've known it for a little while. Thirdly, discipline. I think it's time tonight that some of us remembered that if we want the life, then we need to adopt the lifestyle. And community will not happen to us Actually, we need to play our part, participate in the building of community here in this church. And I wonder if for some of you tonight, it's a realization. Actually, if you're honest, you want the life. You haven't adopted the lifestyle. And finally, direction. And I wonder if tonight, maybe for some of us, community has become a little bit of an idol. What it would look like what it would feel like the picture that you had when you came here the disappointment from a past experience I wonder if it's become a little bit of an idol in here tonight for some people and actually tonight's the moment you realise that community is not the end goal of community Jesus is it's way in your life it's formation of your passions and your longings disappointments and your sin and your suffering 
and the pain and the stuff that you carry, that the end goal is not just to be in the community. The end goal is to look like Jesus. And so I want to pray for you tonight too. And so I wonder if where you are, let's close our eyes. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to sit, you can sit. I know some people that whenever they want to do business with Jesus, they kind of pace or they just bow their heads or they kneel. Or I don't really care what your posture is. But I'm going to say that I'm going to ask tonight, if, if you want to do some, some business with Jesus tonight, why don't you hold your hands out before you? There's nothing special. There's nothing mysterious about it. It's just a sign that you're open to receive. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Spirit of the living God, would you fall afresh on me and on you and on you and on you and on you and every head bowed in this place and every heart opened and every mind that's open to receive. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. That is our great prayer tonight. Holy Spirit, meet us where we are. We can come to you no other way. We are just as we are. Words and all, past and all, sin and all, passion and all, gifts and all, longings and all, successes and failures, joys and sufferings, doubts and fears, visions and dreams. We can come no other way. So we come to you as we are. Meet us here. Meet us here. But Jesus, we pray tonight, do not let us stay here. First, Lord, I want to pray tonight for people for whom, if we're really honest, the desire has gone out. The love has grown cold. That our sense of what we see when we look at the church doesn't line up with what you see whenever you look at the church. Jesus, I want to pray for people who are just tired, who are a bit worn out, who've endured the last couple of years. But if we're honest, we're coming out a little bit jaded, a little bit scarred, a little bit tired, a little bit less excited about what the church is and what it could be than we did before we entered coronavirus and all the rest of what this has mean. Jesus, I want to pray tonight that you might restore to us, Lord, not just the joy of our salvation, but the joy because of our salvation to belonging to your community that is called the church. Jesus, as surely as we give you our allegiance, we recommit tonight, Lord, our allegiance to your people in your way in Lisbon as it is in heaven. Jesus, come to us now. Make us a people of desire. The people of the way might be a people of desire again in this place who love your church. Lord, I want to pray that you would dispel any just low-grade scorn or disappointment or just sense that the church is just a bit cack and all the rest. Lord, I want to pray that you might help us to see the church the way you do once more. Second, Lord, I want to pray tonight for denial. I want to pray for people tonight, Lord, for whom, if we're really honest, we need to get over ourselves. We need to get over ourselves. That we might embrace the notion of self-forgetfulness. That we might be the sorts of people who realize 
But if we want to find ourselves, we need to lose ourselves again. Lose ourselves in the wonder of who you are, the wonder of what you've done, the wonder of what you're doing. The wonder of the cross, the wonder of the resurrection, the wonder of life eternal, the wonder of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives and the things that you do. God, I want to pray that you might help us get over ourselves tonight. Whether we're people who've been here from the start or we're new, get over ourselves. Whether we're people who realize that we are longing for a community and we are beginning to build a community around us that looks just like us, Jesus. And maybe specifically tonight, Lord, I want to pray for some people for whom you've been on their case about their homes their homes as missional outposts, kingdom outposts, Lord. I want to pray for people tonight who have specifically, they've known for a little while that there is a call on their lives, Lord, to invite the broken, the lost, the lonely, the outcast, the outsider, the refugee, Lord. Not just around them, but into their lives. God, I want to pray tonight as well for those for whom we realize that we want the life, but we're not prepared for the lifestyle. Make us people of discipline, people who show up and give of ourselves, not just asking others to give of themselves, but we give of ourselves. We are generous with our openness and our honesty. We are generous with our vulnerability. Give us the discipline to be your community here. And finally, Lord, I want to pray that you might make us a community of direction. For people in the room tonight who can be honest and knowing themselves and say of themselves that their dream of community has become a little bit of an idol. Maybe it's disappointments from the past or past experiences of rejection and challenge at church. Maybe it's just that they really want to see church look the way they want to make church look. But Jesus, I want to pray, God, that we might relearn tonight that the goal of community is not community. It's you. You are our prize. You are the pearl of great price. You are the hope of the nations. You are the lover of our souls. And so, God, I want to ask that you might draw us tonight, lead us tonight, remind us tonight, Lord, that we just really want to be like you. Remind us tonight that we want to be the sorts of people who might say, I only want to write one thing over the doorposts to my door and to my life. Jesus Christ lives here. Jesus Christ lives here. And so come, Holy Spirit, minister to us now. Build your community here. Build your community in us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.